Uh, th this time of year is is an amazingly challenging kind of year, a time time of year, with the early now. I guess we can still call it early um, signing day, which is relatively normal. About mid 70 percentage of um, young people sign in this percentile, so it's, it would be the normal signing day. So it's basically the normal signing day and then a late signing day is the way I would frame it now, not early and whatever we call the next one. Um, at the same time, in preparing uh, for our our um, postseason play while the players have finals and then um, the holiday season Christmas as well there's there's a lot going on and with a staff that has as many young kids as I do and we do that's an amazing challenge to balance and ensure Christmas is a magical time for the little kids and there's still enough practice knowing that that's right in the heart of our preparation and to pull off all those things at the same time which is a great position to be in and something we worked very hard for um, and really challenging, which is which is all uh, great. Um, this particular signing class, while I really love these uh, these players, um, and that's it's hard to say that authentically. And I'm not talking about ability, even though I think they're all very good football players. The relationships that we have with um, the 11 that are listed here, those relationships go really deep, and they're um, I would say. Uh, um, almost completely aligned with the principles, goals, values, values of not only our program but of UVA. And so I think they're excellent fits. Um, and the fit, meaning the dynamic of academics and character, and then um, championship caliber football or New Year's Six caliber football has now kind of combined into a more formidable, formidable narrative for the University of Virginia um, that hasn't that doesn't have to be projected from Brigham Young. It's happening here in three of the four years, and each of those tiers and each of those years continues this climb. And so um, our recruits and their families saw that. Our commitments certainly that resonated with, and they already feel like they're part of our existing team. There will be up to five of these players that will be arriving mid-year. Um, uh, up to two more will be signing either tonight or by tomorrow, and so I expect this class to be solidified at probably 13 for this re this new normal time period, and then there could be a, a, a few other additions as we get to the February signing period. Um, most of our needs have been met, not all, and I've never been able to in a recruiting class say that all of our needs have been met, and there's projections certainly, but in terms of fit, um, on the field in relation to where we currently are to continue our unbroken growth pattern in terms of off the field fit and academic fit um, I'm at peace and really happy and satisfied with what this class brings and uh, as I don't know if I've, I've shared this but I simply won't recruit someone or won't allow anyone coach player or staff member to be in our program unless I like them um, and so if I don't have a personal affinity they're not getting in um, and there's way too much time we spend together uh, to be enduring people rather than enjoying people. And uh, yeah, I, I really like uh, this group of young people. So I'll take questions specific to the signing class if there are any. Because you had so few seniors on the team this season, this was always gonna be a small class. Most of these players have been committed for many months, in some cases years. Are you likely to see more of a recruit, a bump in recruiting from the success of this team in the 21 class than 
maybe this year because most of the class was already in place when you started, you know, won the coastal and um, if, if early indications um, are relevant, that's already happening. So our 2021 interest in relation to uh, predicted or um, recruit rankings, that would say it's already had a significant impact. That's prior to players committing, but it's based on uh, players' level of interest and the amount of attention that they're giving us and vice versa. It's so I certainly see a difference in that. And so it could lead to that. It doesn't guarantee it, but it certainly could. And right now it is. So it's a matter now of, um, uh, I would say, developing uh, and fostering the existing level of interest and then helping that come to fruition through relationships to the point where uh, we can say that at, at this time next year. Reading, reading up on An Andrew Gentry, uh, it appears that he's, the stories all say he's an LDS kid, uh, first one you brought in since you've been here, and uh, how diff different was that? Mm. So uh, Wayne, Wayne Taulapapa is also uh, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Andrew Gentry, in terms of a recruit, will be the second. Um, no, I take that back. Cy. Um, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, Cy is as well, so this would be three. Um, Andrew is an amazing football player. Uh, I would say to this point in the classes that we've signed at the University of Virginia, um, he is the most skilled, talented, and prepared at this level of any player that we have signed. Um, he is exceptional uh, in, in every way. The most highly recruited player that I think I've ever recruited in terms of numbers off of offers and elite level offers and quality of offers. Um, his faith is very important to him. Certainly our staff's faith mattered to him. He wanted to compete for conference championships. Uh, he values education at a really high level. And uh, he has a connection with us that goes beyond football, and so does his family. Coach 2J, um, in particular, did an amazing job with him. That relationship uh, has been ongoing for a significant amount of time within the rules. And um, we learned of his commitment, wow, I think it was last Friday or Saturday. Um, so it's gone right to the end, and ultimately he was deciding between um, really uh, powerful schools. Um, and so uh, we certainly hope more of, the, more of the same come, and I would say that not only in relation to the quality of player, um, but his values and his focus academically and what his family, who they are and how they've raised him, that is the ideal. Um, to put all that together at one time, that doesn't diminish the quality of anyone else. That just means in this snapshot of time, um, the most recognized and probably the highest performing player of any of, again, the classes we brought in or any players within the class, he would certainly be that, and we're thrilled. Bronco, you said that if you don't like somebody, they don't get to come here. Um, how often do you get pretty far along with somebody and that kind of raises its head? Because yeah. you know we've all been doing this long enough that we've met people yep. who are athletes who are kind of unlikable. Yeah. How often does it happen that you just kind of back off? Uh, probably through our process, and a lot of times it happens on their official visit or on an unofficial visit. Um, so on the phone or the assistant coach has worked with them or whatever has happened, but prior to then, uh, 
um, I, I, uh, me meeting them and their family, because sometimes the family is, is not something that I would, I don't want to sign up for um, in terms of sometimes the helicoptering or sometimes just the over um, engagement uh, as, because my approach is to develop young people and that's really hard um, when parents uh, don't, uh, aren't used to having that happen with some level of autonomy. So a lot of times it happens fairly far along. Um, and it usually is clear to both parties that it's, it won't be the fit that they were hopeful for. And so it really isn't as uncomfortable as it sounds, but that's one of the main reasons for in-person visits. And, and it really doesn't take that long to, to sense if there's a connection and if, a, if there's alignment or not. There's a book written by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, it's called Blink. And it it's talks about the power of first impression. And uh, there's pretty powerful research in there. Doesn't mean 100%, but ultimately, if I'm not looking forward to seeing someone in our building every day, that's a hard thing to say I would do that because. And whatever those reasons are, they just don't make sense. So it just keeps the culture of our program vibrant, alive, and more people smiling, and especially the head coach. Does that likability policy apply to credentials? You know, um, this is more of an endured uh, thing. No, I'm just. <laughs> It, it's uh, in all of our jobs, right? There are business essential things that you just have to do, and there's other things you really enjoy doing, and there are people like that. So, <laughs> um, I actually have been, in my experience here, as I've I've expressed a couple of times to this group in particular, I think that myself and our staff and our program have been covered fairly and accurately, um, and, and I wouldn't say that if, if I didn't mean it. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for it now that I've made that statement. There are no Virginia kids. I mean, there's one who played his high school ball, but no Virginia natives in this class. Um, is that just a product of it being a small class, or were there defeats there that, that need to be worked on? It both. Um, it's a product of a small class. It's product of um, defeats. And um, it's certainly different once um, uh, you're the best team in the state on a given year, and that's demonstrated on the field. Um, and you're playing in a New Year's Six game, there's a different, uh, I would say, perception that is formed through winning and through excellence. And so I think that'll take a significant step forward. Um, lots and lots of players are leaving the state. I keep a list in the room where I work. Um, many are leaving the state. Of those, I think there were eight players in state that we um, offered and really wanted that chose elsewhere of the long list. And so, um, yeah, anyone that we offered in state that didn't come, I would say that's a defeat. Um, I offer them because I want them. And if they ch didn't choose us, there is a reason. Um, and I can't speak for why the reasons are other than we're going to continue to work on it. And it's our first priority every single year. The number of times that we're not the first to offer an in-state player is very few. We're usually first, we're usually most thorough, and we're usually deepest earliest. Um, and then for whatever reason, uh, they haven't chosen us. However, uh, I sense that trend is changing. Um, the results in this class, again, because of size, but also some of those defeats within the relation, a relative small class uh, magnify that. Um, I still sense momentum being gained. Um, so we'll see if it plays out the way I'm hopeful for and the way I'm predicting. Specifically, I want to ask you about Richmond. It seems like a particularly strong year for that area. I think three of the, the top five guys in the state, depending on whose rankings you use, we're from Richmond. What did you think of the talent in the Richmond area, mm -hmm. and what kind of happened to you there? 
Yeah, the, the same thing. So um, again, there isn't a player in the state that's being signed at the Power Five level that we didn't know, evaluate, and target early. Um, we chose the ones that we thought fit our program, either on the field, off the field, or academically, right? Which all of those things have to align. Um, that led us to a small group within the entire state, wherever they're from, and we went after them as hard as we possibly could. And eventually, uh, there will be those players that want um, championship football in their own state. They want New Year's Six Bowl games in our state. Um, they want to win the game against their rival in our state. And eventually, the body of work will, there'll be a tipping point at some, at some time. I don't know when that is, but we're certainly not there yet. Coach, you, you mentioned earlier that you had uh, you didn't feel like your, your class met all of your needs, but you felt like they addressed many of them. What needs do you feel like this class met, and which ones do you still have outstanding as of now? Outstanding needs at this point would be um, wide receiver. Uh, so there isn't really other needs beyond that in terms of possible depth, but in terms of immediate need, uh, that's the primary target where um, you'll probably still see some commitments that will come. Um, but in terms of need not yet being met, that would be number one. You'll see Lavelle Davis on, on our list, um, which I really like. He's always open as soon as he lines up because he's 6'6", six, six. Um, and the matchup versus corners is very difficult. Even if he hasn't run by them, um, he's still open because he's 6'6". Six, six. I really like what he provides for us, um, and so I'm really encouraged by by that signee, and again, you could see others, but that, in terms of volume, that's still an area to be addressed. The rest, we're, we're capable of playing, again, because the class is so small. For next year, we're capable of playing really now, um, and so that's the primary need. You have, obviously, a couple of kids enrolling early. How, how can kids benefit from enrolling early, and have you become more of a fan of that? Uh, the, the main benefit simply is time spent in the program, and I have a unique view on, on that. For the schools that welcome mid-year enrollees and have orientations for and um, entry points that are designed and relatively seamless, uh, at the University of Virginia, we prefer um, the summer enrollment for the first years, and there's an extensive orientation and onboarding process. It's done really, really at a high level. That really isn't part of UVA's mid-year um, philosophy, so we basically create that and craft that through athletics with the help of the university, but um, that isn't the primary focus. So it's totally doable. I actually think that for, now I'm talking about college football players or potential college football players specifically, I actually think it's the best time to enroll, and meaning this, that there's an off-season um, of conditioning and acclimation that happens to the college setting. There's a spring practice that happens before real games. Then all those learnings can be applied through the summer uh, of two summer sessions or sometimes three um, while conditioning keeps happening. Then there's a fall camp and then there's a start of the season. And that onboarding um, process is much more comprehensive um, and allows, I think, uh, a much cleaner assimilation into college football than arriving in the summer and then starting to play in the fall. So I think there's huge value regardless. The disadvantage is the high school experience, um, the spring semester and, and finishing that level and maximizing that stage and time frame in life, which certainly has value. Um, 
And some schools, especially some of the private schools and the rigor, right, they require uh, young people to go all the way through. So it doesn't mean both can't work, but there are certainly advantages, um, I think, not only performance-wise, but just acclimation-wise by mid-year. And again, that's if, and it has to fit well within the university's philosophy, that enhances it. Right now, I think we, we've maximized and we do a good job with the numbers we have in relation to the environment we have. I'll go to follow up on Doug's question about Andrew. I can't imagine how many young men you've coached who went on LDS missions. Over Overall, pluses, minuses, what impacts have, have you seen from that experience? And also, a young man of Andrew's body type, six seven three hundred. what does that time away do to, the, to a physique like that? I'll start in reverse order. So he's six seven three hundred now. I've seen players similar to that that choose to serve missions for um, uh, our faith. Um, that based on where they serve, they've come back at two ten. I've seen others come back at close to four hundred, um, <laughs> and I've seen others that come back about where they left. But knowing that um, thirty minutes is really what's allotted per day for physical exercise, that's um, separate and distinct from the proselyting. And so there isn't a large amount of time, and the young people have to be very committed. The advantage is the maturity level of the young people that come back, um, their independence, their critical thinking, and their resilience of doing something that difficult for two years um, uh, is remarkable, and it shows. Many, um, at least going back to my Brigham Young experience, around 75% of the team spoke foreign languages fluently. So they not only were off... Um, uh, away from home for the first time, they were off in other countries speaking languages they didn't know for two years by themselves, not by themselves, with their companion and under the direction of what's called the mission president, which is like the head coach of all the missionaries that go out, and that's roughly 200. So um, there is supervision, but it's really difficult. So the maturity, the resilience, um, fortitude would be another good word for it. They just, um, they're more mature and ready for life. That led to, at Brigham Young University, between 30 and 40 of the players being married every year, their life accelerant and their goals become faster. And um, they're thinking about things a little farther along than uh, what a normal uh, first year would be coming into college. Um, the, the challenges certainly are the physical preparation. Um, usually takes roughly one year to, re um, to return to the starting point of where they left. That means to get them back at least physically to some level of capability where they can then excel and achieve from. That change is also based on where they served. And then mindset. Um, when you've been um, sharing spiritual and, and significant messages and then coming back and then you're running, looking to run into people as hard as you can, there's quite a, a void there. And so sometimes mindset is a challenge um, between those two things. So that would be just a thumbnail of what I've seen in my, my time. Is R.J. Harvey likely to stay at quarterback, or if he moved, do you have enough depth at that position, or would you look to get a grad transfer or someone else? So um, R.J. will, um, our hope is that um, he's capable at quarterback. That's why we brought him to the University of Virginia. So he will go through this entire offseason in spring. Um, at that, in that position, and that will be a, demonstrate, a chance for him to demonstrate the competencies and readiness for not only himself, but for us as to is he and how close is he to being capable of being um, uh, Brennan's backup or providing depth there. Ira 
As you'll see, Armstead is coming in at mid-year, and so then we have Lindell Stone as well. Um, with the grad transfer market at quarterback, I do believe you have to have two quarterbacks ready. Um, we saw that this year, and what we could do with Bryce, while Brennan was not available, we were more conservative, trying to make sure Bryce could make it through until Brennan became healthy. So based on, and, and really the timing of that, a lot of the grad transfers, that manifests after spring. So all of that could come together in a different way than it is now. I've got two quick questions, and I'll make them very quick. Regarding Andrew Gentry, any decision yet on whether he will go on a mission this coming His His plan, um, as we speak today, is to serve his mission first. And so that means he'll graduate from high school. He'll then serve his mission, and then we'll have him in two years, which is typical. Um, so at in dealing with missionaries, which my myself and our staff have become an expert in, 85% of my team at Brigham Young were return missionaries. So that requires basically a, a seven-year workforce planning model, which meant that any entire classes, by the way, we would sign. So this is the class of 2020, but in, in that case, it's the class of 2022. Um, so even though they're signed now, that whole class would show up two years from now. And then we'd be getting back a class from their mission, and they would be the class of 2020. And so he's, he'll be on that model. All right, I was going to ask you a question about Elijah Gaines. Mm. A couple of years ago, Episcopal High School had maybe four or five of the top 25 prospects in the state. Uh, Elijah, I believe, had committed to Penn State earlier. How nice a catch was that at, at that late date? And were you able to build a relationship with that school that will help you in the future? We, we really like, um, and we call Episcopal a profile school. Uh, that's the term we use, meaning that in Elijah's case, that's a young person with his family under his family's direction, leaving home for the value of education and opportunity, growing in independence and autonomy, getting a, uh, a really powerful education, playing football at a very high level. And Coach Howell has built an amazing relationship with him. So uh, along the way, when he decommitted from Penn State, um, his family, uh, maybe even before, I don't remember the exact timing, whether it was right before he decommitted or right after, uh, Coach Howell was the first they called. And so it wasn't really UVA that they called, it was Coach Howell who represented UVA and that relationship uh, didn't take long to rekindle it. And uh, he said a visit, came, committed on his visit and the majority of all that work had already been done. And so, yeah, it, it's, we're, we're very excited about Elijah, uh, not only ability, but, but who he is, perfect fit for us. So Andrew weighs 300 pounds and he's going to Zimbabwe or something for two years. Are you allowed to send care packages full of like fatty things to keep them from shrinking down to 230? So, so um, as a football program, we're not, but his family can, right? Uh, so um, we're used to having very specific um, workout bundles that we send with them. Um, and they have to be pretty creative. It's hard to pack some of those things around from transfer to transfer. And so I've seen pictures of young guys working out with the bar with cinder blocks on the end or buckets of water um, or just out lifting rocks and throwing them over their shoulder or wherever they're sent. Um, so family members are usually the ones that send those things. Um, we really um, want their entire focus to be on their intent and why they went out. 
and know and are masterful at develop, developing them when they come home, and there's enough time and we know how to do it. So um, we work with the family as much as they want us to um, and leave it at that. You've adapted very quickly to best team in the state, New Year's Six status, and you know, just talking about how your year went. Um, how much does that affect these guys? I mean, how much of an impediment was 15 straight losses? And, you know, how much has, you know, maybe more doors open because that, that's over? Yeah, it, it's uh, more doors are opening. Um, progress is being made. And credibility has taken a, a huge jump. Every bit as impactful as that has been the way it's happened in this methodical, sequential, incremental way. And so it's not being viewed as it flashes and then what's it going to be next year. The, the consensus and the, um, the perspective is simply this is happening, this will continue to happen, and it will remain um, stable and consistent. So that's because of how and the methodical way that it's been accomplished. So the combination of some of the metrics met this year as well as the way has formed another narrative that is opening more doors. And that's back to Jeff's first question, that the 21 class the amount of interest and the level of player by the world standards in terms, it's, that's at a much different level now. Nothing, we haven't seen it yet at this level in our time together at UVA, so it's tangible, it's palpable, and at this stage it's real. Uh, finishing this class and, and leveraging that is the next step, but it's, it's certainly different right now. And um, we're there's a lot of optimism and excitement around our personnel department, our coaches, because of that. It's just, it's clearly different than year one, year two, year three um, than, than we've had so far. From where we sit, and you may disagree since it's your livelihood kind of state, <laughs> but, uh, from where we sit, this was a pretty low drama uh, recruiting period. Donovan Johnson, I guess, had the Arkansas push at the end. Is that accurate, that it was pretty low drama? And could you take us through Donovan, what his deal Yeah, um, there was zero drama. Um, which is one of our guiding principles, right? Less drama, more work. And usually if there's drama in the recruiting process, it's not a good sign that we've chosen the right young person. And that is atypical, I know, to the recruiting process. It's supposed to be someone jumping out of a helicopter and picking a hat or whatever parachute they pull is that mascot. Or That's an exaggeration, but you get the point. Um, I prefer just the opposite. And the families that are choosing us prefer the opposite. Um, and with Donovan, um, there's all kinds of interest in him from the beginning, through the middle, through the very end, and he didn't waver, which endears him to me. And I think he's a very good football player and totally and completely and almost to a fault, if it's possible, honest and blunt. And <laughs> you know exactly where you stand with him and it's so refreshing because there, there is no gamesmanship and there is no leveraging it just as matter of fact, and that's refreshing. Uh, and it may be hard to pull one component out, but you talked about Carla giving you some of the resources oh. and the staff and the additional. <coughs> Obviously, you're winning also, and again, it may be hard to identify, but how big an impact has the increased staff, the increased support had? So it, it, it has been essential, and it has made the most difference. And, and I'll just frame it in this capacity. We don't think, and I'll put it this way, what we know is that we're finding first, we're evaluating deepest and best, and we're on track earlier than almost every one of our competitors. Usually they fast follow us, meaning 
we're ahead, they see who we want, then they jump in. So we're very skilled because of the resources Carla has provided of the early evaluations and the accuracy of the evaluations. Um, the next stage is withholding when everyone else joins, holding through that and coming out the other side, having everyone remember we were first, and, but also realizing for them that we're best for them. And sometimes we're the best for them and sometimes we're not based on what they're looking for. Um, but the resources to where we are, what I believe the progress we're making, without Carla's help, no way is it possible. And the incremental steps that we're making and the trajectory, it only happens if she helps us. Um, so I, I just am so thankful for that. You mentioned your player personnel staff. Justin obviously has ties to Louisiana. So does Jordan, Coach Brumfield. Are, the, are their relationships in that state responsible for your recruiting success? They are the primary um, drivers for our success there. Coach Brumfield's relationships are very powerful. Jordan Arsamont, his relationships are very powerful, as well as Justin Anderson's knowledge of that state. So it's just a great example of when you have really good people that are well-connected in a given area, whatever that area is, and really wherever your school is, there's still going to be a strong draw there. And so the people are everything. And those three that you just mentioned are the reason we're having success in Louisiana. The bowl question. Uh, immediately after the game and then the next day here at JPJ when the invitation came, your defensive players said they would be better for having faced that Clemson offense. Uh, how many of the defensive problems are correctable? How, much, how many were just a product of, of Clemson's skilled players and their, and their yeah. prowess? I think it's a, a fair question and pointed, which gives a chance for great clarity. Um, I would say um, that Clemson was the most talented uh, football team offensively that, um, that any of our players had played. Um, and they certainly deserve credit for their execution. I'm talking Clemson's. Um, and now having said that, um, our lack of execution and inconsistency um, attributed for most of the yardage and points. Um, there are certain plays that they absolutely would have made regardless. Um, and the points, um, it's hard to predict. Uh, um, but if we played on edge uh, in terms of assignments, execution, and coordination, um, the number of missed tackles, the number of balls caught, all those things would have been significantly reduced. I don't think it would have been enough for us to win the game, but it would have been a different game than it was. Um, so there are two parts to it, and you've addressed both parts. Yes, they're talented, and the most talented team that we've played and executed really well and very clean, which is they were ready for that stage and, and played really well in that setting. Um, we were um, inconsistent um, from beginning to end, really from um, front to back. Um, and so uh, our coordination in relation to the speed, the setting, and just simple execution of our jobs was, it never really took hold in that game. And so it was a combination of both, certainly. Um, and so Clemson gets every bit of credit they deserve for the win. But to also say that um, the execution was on point and sound and effective, uh, it was one of the, the poorest games we'd played from a consistency standpoint. If I've done my cross-referencing correctly. <clears throat> Your one experience going against Todd Grantham was 2016 Louisville. Louisville yeah. uh, you were still calling the defense back then. I don't know how much you, you looked at Louisville's defense, 
but defense seems to be clearly Florida's forte this season. What have been your impressions of him in his scheme now and perhaps back then with Louisville? Yeah, so um, the the consistency amongst, excuse me, the consistency of success amongst places and stops and, and um, he has moved a number of times, but it just seems like at each spot they play strong defense, and and that usually lends the credibility of the leader um, because places are different. Um, each stop, the the defense morphs slightly to the personnel they have, which is reflective of good coaching. And this year, certainly their top ten in most categories, very talented. And so not only is it a reflection of the coach and his knowledge and, and uh, ability to coach, they've recruited very well. So the combination of that leads to top 10 defense. And that's certainly what they have. Offensively, they're averaging about 33 points a game, which is, is still very strong and talented as well. So um, what has the takeaway to this point is the preparation for Clemson and seeing the teams on film that they're playing as well as Florida and seeing the teams they're playing at a 10 and two level in the SEC, that is, um, it's been a, every minute we spend preparing our program is growing and benefiting from the points of reference and the stretch and thought process that it's taking to then um, match up and uh, have our best chance to win and be competitive in that game. And so um, it's just every minute we're spending is accelerating our program and I, I view um, and you've probably heard this term before, our, our loss to Clemson was falling forward, meaning that I put it in the same category as our first game against Virginia Tech down there, our loss to Navy in the bowl game, and now that one. I view those three as critical moments in this program, in this era under our staff for improvement because it exposed things we certainly have to uh, get better at. And that's, I love that process. I hate the, the, the losses, but I love the learning. And so... Uh, that's uh, I put those three together in, in some of the most impactful things that have happened since I've been the coach at UVA with the potential to help us go to places we couldn't have as early without seeing it or being in those as painful as they were. Bronco, I'm sorry. I have one more recruiting question for you. Just Armstead and his mm. fit with what you guys are doing at quarterback. How do you like him? So we, we love his length. We love his athleticism. We love his measurables. Um, when you do the research and you, you research his vertical jump and his broad jump and his 40 times and the athleticism there, as well as length and arm strength, you'll see a lot of those things match up or exceed that, at least measurable wise of measurables wise as Perkins. That doesn't mean he's the player yet, but there is a prototype we have that we really like in Bryce. And so Ira, we were measuring against and comparing to Bryce, and we liked, at a similar stage, we liked the matchup or the comparison. Go down the He'll front row. He'll be here mid-year as well. Yep, we'll go down the front row here, and then we'll let Coach get back over. Specifically, uh, offensively with Florida, um, what is the talent comparison to Clemson? Mm -hmm. And a couple of your guys told me that it's hard to watch a team on film. It doesn't necessarily do them justice to get out on the field. Yeah. So is that part of what you're talking about with the Clemson experience? It, it is. One of the things we underestimated, and, and I'll say as a coaching staff, uh, certainly, is we underestimated the speed and power of their running back. Um, on film, it, it was one thing. And we prepared knowing that he was very good. So it wasn't we didn't think he couldn't play. But who he really was in terms of how hard to tackle, the number of tackles we missed in that game is the most I'd seen in our time here. That had something to do with his ability. And, but also our presentation of him to our players and our assessment. 
um, Florida is, um, is not as balanced as Clemson, meaning the quarterback run, um, the running back run, and then the pass game. Florida is much more spread-oriented, throw first, with very talented wide receivers, four or five at a time, um, meaning empty formations. They have a very capable running back and skilled. The quarterback is not uh, necessarily a run threat or run first player, more of a drop back passer. So the style is different, but the talent on the edges similar to what we just saw. And I asked you after the, the game, but about the missed tackles on the perimeter, um, it seemed like short throws that became. Exactly. When you reviewed, what did you see there and how do you fix that? Yeah, so um, speed and athleticism and our presentation of the opponent certainly uh, could have been better. And then it's adjusting as quickly as possible, not only schematically, but our players adjusting to the leverage and angles they need to take in relation to that speed. And so it was a combination of both. Ronker, you touched on this a little bit, but how much of the stage of the ACC championship game was maybe one of the things that you'll have to overcome because the stage of a New Year's Six game is also pretty yeah. damn big. So I think it certainly has to be acknowledged. Um, I really didn't expect the things that I framed to our team going into the game was mindset and preparation. Mindset that we certainly are capable and preparation knowing we'd been in that setting before in terms of the stadium, not that game, but um, we acknowledged it and we thought we prepared well for it. Certainly, like the other two games I mentioned, there was a gap there, which is I'm responsible for to get our team ready to play. Having done that one, I expect us to be more ready and comfortable in this next setting, which will be similar as we were in that one. So that's my hope. Okay. And kind of going back to recruiting, I guess, to some degree, the way you guys bounced back from the Virginia Tech loss last year in the bowl game, I think probably opened a lot of eyes, recruits and other people. People talked about it like it was crazy. Um, how do you do that again? I mean, what was the secret of getting everyone to regroup and refocus last year, and how do you do that again after this Clemson loss, which? Yeah, we, we have high expectations for our players. Um, we work in a fall camp practice model, which will, the players will be presented with that today, and we, we throw everything we possibly can into it to give us our best chance to recover. Um, that game is over. We, I asked our players to suck the marrow out of it rather than just acknowledge it and skip by it, um, and that's what they've done. Exactly, uh, and so we keep track of every first year and every player with that in mind. Not only measured against immediate need, but versus long-term uh, growth and need over time. And so Seneca would be a good, good um, example of, he's done a really nice job filling in, especially the kick return part as Joe Reed was, was hurt um, over the past couple of weeks. And, um, he became, Seneca was hurt early in the season, so he's become healthier, and so that just matched nicely to help us finish the season, which, yeah, it's essential. When you start playing 13 and then 14 games versus 85 scholarships, that's, that really helps manage the roster to get to the, get to the end. And so, again, I still don't think it's quite enough. I would certainly vote for more, but, it's, it, man, I, it's been a step in the right direction. Ahern is the other one. Mm -hmm. Yep. Team rankings. Mm. You played 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, in a bowl game, if you go off rankings, um, and certainly the most talented in the bowl game setting that we played, we've certainly played other very good teams now either in a championship setting or throughout the regular year, but I would say yes to that. Okay, thanks.